Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 55. And today we're going to be doing something special. We're going to be sharing with you a talk that Bernard, Shu, and I did with our friends at Ambassadors for Christ, talking about what does Canadian Asian witness look like, especially in a time of COVID. So we're going to be sharing with you thoughts about what does Canadian Asian witness look like and how we are continuing to understand it in the form of presence. So without further ado, let's do this. our conversation tonight, we just want to share a little bit about some of our experiences in terms of what does it mean to be a witness? And, you know, what does it mean uh, for us to kind of reflect back on those experiences and how we are, how God has shaped us through that journey? And, you know, by no means are we experts, by no means are we going to teach or anything like that tonight. We're just sharing our experiences and, you know, a big part of that has been shaped by having these conversations over the, the last number of years. And so each of us have, you know, different experiences that we're going to bring tonight. And then as we talk about that, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about kind of where we are landing in terms of how do we engage the world. And then uh, we're going to kind of cap it off at the end in terms of specifically as a Canadian Asian, what does it mean to be that witness, especially in a time like this where it's crazy and we're in a pandemic and whoever thought 2020 would be somewhat of a bus fire, but you know, it's a little bit, you know, a lot to take in at times. Um, and so, yeah, each of us is going to share a little bit about our uh, experiences uh, about what that has looked like for us and how we've experienced it. And, you know, and perhaps a few embarrassing stories along the way. Um, but yeah, you know, off the top of the bat, uh, you know, Bernard Shu, do, do either one of you guys want to go first? Yeah, Bernard. <laughs> I was going to say shoe. Well, John, why don't you start since you started first? Oh, man. Okay. All right. I'll start and then we'll kind of just kind of, as always, we, we just jump off each other. Um, and so for me, like, you know, being a witness, you know, I grew up in Ottawa. I'm in Ottawa right now visiting my parents. Growing up, I grew up in a multicultural church. And my main understanding or perception of what does it mean to be a witness was always just about like, we need to go out and share the gospel. And I never really knew what that looked like, but, you know, that was a message that kind of was reinforced. And then when missionaries come, it's like, yeah, yeah, we, we got to go into the world to share the gospel. But, you know, I never knew how that could actually look like in my life. And then, you know, one big part of, uh, you know, of what that meant for me in terms of how I was shaped was like when the Billy Cream crusade kind of came along. And that was a long time ago. And I'm kind of dating myself. Although I have Star Wars posters at the back, so you know you guys see Episode One back there. Anyways, whatever. So with that, I was like, "Oh, this is what it means to be a witness." And so I joined as a volunteer. I got taught. It's like, "Hey, here's the booklet. Here's how you kind of walk people through the four spiritual laws, and that's what it means to share the gospel." And I was like, "Yes, now I get it. This is great. You know, now I can be a witness in this world." Um, through that experience, you know. When I went into engineering at Carleton University, I, uh, you know, I got involved with Campus Crusade, which is now Power to Change. And, you know, there was a, such a heavy emphasis on evangelism um, and, con like, you know, going out to spread the gospel. Uh, back in my day, you know, there was a heavy 
you know, focus on apologetics, um, you know, cold evangelism, uh, which where, you know, you kind of just find a person and you're like, hey, you know, let's talk about God or, you know, do you know what's going to happen when you die? Uh, questions like that. right? Um, and then we did things on campus where we would like, you know, worship together uh, in different spaces. Um, but what I found is through, through those experiences, I remember, you know, in Carleton University, I don't know if you, any of you guys have been there, it's it, all the buildings are connected by tunnels. And so we found kind of one intersection where all the tunnels were and we were setting things up and then we were like worshiping and we're like, this is going to be our witness. Um, and as we were doing this, you know, all these students were walking by and some people kind of just stopped and be like, oh, like, who are you guys? What are you guys doing? I remember, I distinctly remembering a, uh, I distinctly remembering a old high school friend from from my high school in in uh, in Ottawa walked by and looked at me and he's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "I'm worshiping God." <laughs> and then he was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> and you know, it was for him such a foreign thing. He didn't like his you know response to me was not in any way positive. <laughs> um, and it kind of was like this is just kind of odd and weird. Um, and, you know, it did get me thinking about things, you know, down the line. And I realized, like, you know, like, and I'm not, like, bashing or, you know, throwing shade at any of these kind of different models or approaches. But, you know, they're, you know, we're in this kind of culture which, uh, you know, some of the language we use or some of our approaches we use can be confusing. And for some, it could be, you know, confrontational. It could be uh, something that is completely foreign that people don't, res you know, uh, resonate with. You know, if we think about kind of where things are in the spiritual landscape, it's like we would say we're kind of like post-Christendom. Like, you know, like people, some people growing up now have no experience of, of what does it mean to even be a part of a church, let alone experience of God. Um, and we use kind of words that, you know, perhaps we're used to using at church. But for others, you know, it doesn't kind of really uh, like land. It, it doesn't like make sense. Um, I think when reflecting kind of back on some of those experiences, I think for me, like, I was like, man, like, whenever I jumped into a conversation with a person or like, you know, tried to befriend someone, did I always have this agenda? Was this agenda always trying to get them to make this decision, walk them through, you know, the four spiritual laws, you know, and, and it felt like sometimes like that, that person was like a project or like, I'm trying to sell something. And throughout the years, I'm like, looking back, I'm like, you know what, I started kind of, uh, you know, associating the act of being a witness, um, you know, and I, it was disconnected from discipleship. You know, it was all about just conversion uh, rather than like kind of a lifelong journey of, of seeing God and responding to God in a person's life. And, and when I was kind of treating it more like an activity, um, you know, it became this thing that I felt like, oh, as a Christian, I should do. However, for me, like, I didn't really know how to connect with a person and I didn't really know what it meant to be a witness. And I think over the, you know, the last couple of decades, you know, um, like God has been, you know, teaching me and he's been shaping me to think more about witnesses and identity. You know, am I a witness in the way I live my life and the way I engage with others and the way I connect with others? Am I a witness of the resurrected life? Am I an embodiment of Christ's presence in the world, a participant uh, on God's mission? And am I an ambassador for, you know, his kingdom? And am I more preoccupied with, like, you know, that God is at work in the world and that I get just to be a part of it and, and my 
part in it is just to be representing him and being a presence in the world um, rather than, you know, thinking so much about having the right questions or the right ways of engaging uh, the right formula in which to share the gospel. Um, and I think as it became more of an identity for me, uh, that kind of posture, that identity started to inform my practice and it has affected my ministry. Uh, one verse that I think has, has always stuck with me in, in this is John 20, verse 21. And it says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so do we see our identity, identity no matter where we are as the sent people of God, whether we're in church or fellowship or in schools or with our families or in our neighborhoods, uh, whether we're gathered or scattered, scattered, like do we have that identity as the sent people? Um, and I think one of the great things that we're going to talk about a little bit later in Asian cultures, it's like Asian cultures are great at getting together. You know, you go out to dinner, you know, uh, even like there's a lot of representatives here. Dim sum. From yeah. Yeah. Dim sum. Yeah. Dim sum is the ultimate example. Uh, you know, but even here at CC, you know, at AFC, CCF, there's a lot of connections, you know, it's a great way to get together. And in some ways, you know, that is a total pro. Uh, and in some other ways, you know, it's something we need to watch out for because, you know, the whole homogeneous principle is like people like, that are like-minded, like to stick together, and it's hard to kind of break out of that clique sometimes. Um, but the challenge, you know, for, for us is how do we be the sent people? How do we be those witnesses in the world? Um, and do other people experience the presence of Christ when we are with them uh, rather than trying to, you know, sell them something or trying to get them to... Um, you know, a, a decision. And I'll kind of end off my part with this is that, you know, for me, I experienced this with uh, my friend, Bob, and my friend, Bob was a high school student. And, you know, like, I've been a friend with him for so long. And, uh, you know, for you know, how, how old am I now? I'm almost okay. I won't, I won't tell you how old I am. But I've been a friend with him a long time. And, uh, you know, in high school, he was a very staunch atheist. And he would always like kind of just kind of turn off whenever I talked about God or anything like that. But I never kind of tried to push it on him. I always just tried to be a good friend to him. And I tried to be thinking like, if, you know, if, you know, how would Jesus love Bob? Um, and just uh, try to be that type of friend. Um, and, you know, throughout the years, we had many conversations and, you know, it was never about like kind of getting him to that decision. But, you know, down the line, about like 15 years after we graduated, he calls me up and says, Hey man, I just want to tell you, uh, I'm following Jesus now. And I want to thank you so much for always like, you know, being a witness, being someone who showed that there's something different in your life, that you were living with God in your life. And there was this joy about you. And I want to thank you just so much for having that influence in my life. And I was like, like, it was a call out of the blue. Cause I hadn't talked to him like for, for a long time. And just remind me that like, you know what? God is at work in people's lives. And sometimes we just need to just to highlight things that God is doing or, you know, reaffirm things that, you know, that of the kingdom breaking through in their life. Um, and it takes away that kind of pressure. And it, you know, because when we put too much emphasis on our, our own work or our, our own way of being a witness rather than on what God is doing, uh, it is, you know, like it, when we take away that pressure, it's completely freeing because we're not responsible for the response. Um, even more so, we're, we're kind of moved out of compassion and moved out of a perspective of, of what God is doing in that person's life. And so that's where, where I kind of will pause and throw things over to Bernard or Shu. 
I think my journey has been a little bit different than John and Shu's. I think they've grown up kind of basically in the church. Um, I have two, but it's a different kind of church. I grew up in the Catholic church. Um, submission so wasn't very in the forefront, um, but it was a lot of learning about like religious practices and following the rules and how to be right. Um, but when I, when I, when I had a, um, I don't know, like a, a Christian woke moment where the spirit came upon me, like it was a, it was kind of like very different. Um, and it really led me on a path of kind of discerning and wrestling. Well, what is this faith that I, that, that is kind of so transformative. Um, and I think like mission became like such a big part of that early kind of Christian journey. Um, so like right after I was baptized, I actually went on my first mission trip uh, to Mexico city. And I think it was there that God kind of really challenged me about like, what is mission? Like is mission just going there and doing stuff? Are we just kind of just, you know, putting together something and offering this piece to someone else? Um, or are we just trying to like build them a house kind of thing? Um, because this, this was a strange mission, uh, even for like now, for many of us, it was a prayer mission to Mexico city. And we just went and we just went around literally from neighborhood to neighborhood. And we we're just praying with people. Like we weren't, we weren't like teaching, we weren't preaching, we weren't doing any of that. We were just praying. Um, and I think like that was where God kind of began to, to show me like, he's at work, he's doing stuff. Um, in which like, you know, Karl Barth writes about the Missio Dei. He was kind of attributed to the person who framed the coin, who coined the term Missio Dei, the, the mission of God. Like it's God's very attribute that he's going out there on mission. And I think like when we're out there, we begin to see that. Um, and I think like that was kind of where like my own kind of understanding of like mission began to change. Like it was more like, okay, so, so as we are being present, we are actually engaging and responding. And, and sometimes we're speaking, sometimes we're doing, but it's that embodiment piece that we actually enter into the story of God um, that is all around us. And we begin to see how God is doing something new. Uh, and I love like the apostle Paul writes in Corinthians, second uh, Corinthians five, he says, um, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. There's a sense of newness that's kind of coming forth. And then all this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation as he has reconciled us. And as we are being changed, we see the world differently. Um, and I believe this is part of like mission and witness witnesses seeing how God's like restorative and reconciling plan at work all around us in our campuses in our neighborhoods in our lives, in those closest to us, in those who like we like John, who just randomly bumped into. It's like just so weird, um, but it's it's happening. And I think like one of the things that was so beautiful about that mission trip that we went to in Mexico City, and so like we were just kind of praying all over. We were praying with the rich, we were praying, praying with for the poor, um, and then I haven't heard anything. You know, like it's kind of like usually what happens with short term mission trips. We go there, we did our thing, and then we leave. And then we forget all about it. Um, and then I got the blessing of going back to Mexico City seven years later. Mm-hmm. And then when I got back, I was like at this church. And then I saw this couple. And then the wife was actually someone that we visited and we prayed over them. And then we were praying for her mom who, who was dying. And then she's now like the pastor's wife of one of the 
the pastors of that church. And then we were like talking about some of the people that we knew. And then they were like, yeah, I remember like there was a captain in the military force who wanted to plant a church. And we're like, yeah, like I remember that because I remember being in his house and praying for him. And then he's like, well, he quit, he quit the army and became a pastor who passes a church right beside the military base. So again, like I'm, I'm sharing this story, not to say like, wow, like we just, these cool things, but it's like, we were just trying to be present when God invited us to be there. I'm not saying that it was just by our prayers that these things happen, but we were participating in God's kind of restorative reconciling plan. And I think like, that's kind of a big part of witness and what Christian witness is about. All right. I'm passing it to Shu. Uh, I guess for myself, uh, maybe share a little context for myself. I'm a pastor at uh, RH3C. Uh, it's this large, large ship, large uh, church. And not, I'm not trying to toot our horn. I mean, I mean that at times I wrestled with that. Um, but kind of how I got there and thinking about kind of my, you know, this witnessing journey, how was, how was, you know, the gospel? How did I respond? How, how was I witnessed to? And for me, a vivid memories of, uh, I basically attended my junior high fellowship because people, my, my buddy at the time said, yo, there's food, man, there's food. And I was yes. like, yeah, okay, I'm down. Like, give, I'll, I'll give me that, that snack or whatever. And that, <laughs> you know, that's how I got involved in, in church, essentially. Um, but I, like, similar with John, my kind of road to uh, professing faith in Christ uh, came at a pre Billy Graham crusade, so maybe I'm, I, you know, one, you know, doing one, one the pre Billy Graham crusade where there was like at the time Christian rock music, and there was this you know really cool speaker, and at the That's end, dope, man, yeah, and and the gospel message that I heard, and I keep hearing regularly that that echoes in my head, and you know, okay, John talked that I that I've done some doctoral work, but. I still ask people, what do you think the gospel is? The mainline answer for most people is Jesus died for my sins. That is the gospel for people. If you want it in a nutshell, like, or you could talk about a bridge illustration. Jesus got me across that bridge, forgave my sins. And now I'm not going to hell. I'm going over to God. So, you know, there's truth to that. But uh, back then it was like, that was my first thing. I felt so guilty i think at the time it was probably more to do with uh bickering and fighting with my parents and you know you're you're young kind of high schooler you're you're just dealing with that kind of stuff but i became a christian through through these things i started you know you go to youth rallies you go to tc tc you know right tc you get the altar call you get people raising their hand for jesus all, all this stuff but what was interesting as just thinking about how i was witness to it was done in community it was done with a bunch of people who who loved me, cared for me, showed me what I think Jesus looked like. And through that was interesting, you know, on my journey because it was just, but some at some point I felt like, you know, uh, so a lot of people that I knew who professed faith in Christ, a lot of people fell away. A lot of people fell away from their faith. And I, yeah, I see the nods and you start to see that. And then what's interesting for me is I think, Witness detached from like Bernard and, and John was talking about from being present. And if it's just a gospel thing to get your decision, that's, that's part of, I think, why people just go, okay, great. You got them to decide, but 
they just, you know, they made the decision and they pieced out. So for me, the witness can't just come from, okay, yeah, we, we said the message done. And now, you know, now they'll, they'll just get in line. People need to be discipled. People need to understand what it means to follow Jesus. They need to wrestle with that. It takes time. It takes a community of people devoted to, to walking with each other. And what I found in terms of witnessing is uh, a lot of times I think I, I get the sense there's almost this kind of missional guilt that, that Christians have. They practice it out of guilt than, than a life that's fully kind of realized in Christ, that they feel like Jesus is with me the whole time. And I, I want to share, share what's going on there. And I, yeah, I, I wrestle, I wrestle with that too. I wrestled with that. And it got me to the point where I was like, if, this kind of decision, like John was saying, and this is like another uh, theologian we follow, Scott McKnight, but it's uh, if the decision is, is detached from the discipleship, you've got a lot of people who are just making that momentary decision, but they're not growing in their faith. And if you think about it, witnessing outreach mission, um, I would just call that like, it's still discipleship. You're discipling a non-Christian to understand what does it mean to follow Jesus? You're, you're doing that with the word. The word's part of it. You can do an investigative Bible study, which I've done with people on CCF campus. Secondly, I've also been a CCF chairperson. I, I, I know the, the, I've wrestled with all the issues. I, I had to create a committee of people to be more organized. It was a weird time to be in CCF, but like I saw, I, I, I helped let, lead, led someone to Jesus going through an investigative Bible study. Okay, and I'm not knocking on on these things, um, but if it's not kind of uh, into, I think a, a life that's you you can see as well demonstrate what the gospel looks like in your life in community, then we kind of at times detach here. Just get them to believe this, and my job's done. My job's done, and I that's where I kind of get the feeling sometimes that that uh, that has led us to. Um, just get, get the decisions and, you know, being in a large church too, at times I wrestle this all the time. We, yeah, we can get people to get through the doors, but it's like, are they being discipled? You know, are they actually, uh, growing in, in a smaller community with people and actually living this Christian life out? And we're going to talk about this later, but, um, that's definitely impacted how I'm, I'm viewing witness more and more now, not just about getting uh, that decision. The decisions are important. Like uh, maybe you've heard of Tim Keller. Tim Keller used to say, you make many, many decisions until you get to that big decision. And then you're probably still making decisions after too on a daily basis. That's the cross that you got to carry too, right? But, but yeah, in general, this is like for me, the kind of like, man, that's a really short way to talk about my witnessing journey. And I but, wonder, uh, like that's also kind of part of our culture too, right? Like we've kind of live in a culture of very instantaneous kind of like we live in the moment right um but to even taking scripture and what scripture talks about like long suffering uh talking about like the endurance you know the perseverance of our faith you know that that is a that's a lifelong journey um and if 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 we are looking at um the christian witness as a momentary decision as opposed of a lifetime of of kind of decisions as keller has said or like Matthew Bates, someone that we, we follow to, like his talk about like allegiance, right? Allegiance is not a momentary allegiance. It's your whole life allegiance. And then beginning yeah. to see like, kind of like that longevity part. 
and then we, we can get into talk about what faith is, because faith is not just intellectual assent. It's not just I assent that Jesus is my savior. It's an allegiance. A, a, a re- when you repent, you turn around and say, Jesus is king, right? Jesus is Lord. But the thing is, most of the time, we're just like, no, Jesus is my savior and, and my buddy. Which, which is that huge idea of salvation, not just from something, from sin, from death, but it's a salvation for something happening at the same time. Um, and I think like that's, that's a huge kind of paradigm shift that we need to wrestle with. Yeah, that's kind of some of my story. There's, there's, there's a lot of stories. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully you guys have got a little bit of a glimpse at, you know, some of the things we've experienced. And so what we're going to do is actually going to shift a little bit in terms of how we actually see witness now. And we're, we're kind of continuing to land uh, in regards to how do we be that type of witness into the world. Um, and what does it mean to think about it in the context of discipleship? What does it mean to think about it in the context of, you know, not just a one-time decision, but, or just to, you know, make that decision, and go to church or, you know, go to fellowship, uh, but rather like that it is this long journey of, of being with Christ and, and being transformed by the spirit and being uh, part of what God is doing in the world. Like all of this is part of, uh, of, of discipleship as is part of what does it mean to be a witness. And so, you know, one of the things that we want to kind of bring uh, kind of to the table tonight is um, this idea of presence and what does that mean for our lives and what, why we believe, you know, that it is uh, so something so crucial and it's been so formative for us as we think about witness. So we're going to go in reverse just because, you know, uh, you know, we started with, you know, uh, with myself and then Bernard and Shu. So we're going to start with Shu. And Shu's going to start talking a little bit about, uh, you know, what does it mean uh, to be, uh, to think about presence, the theology of presence, and why that is uh, such a big part of being a witness. Yeah, you see what I did there? Should have got someone else to do that. So, Man. So, uh, <laughs> at this point in our podcast, we'd be like, okay, let's edit this part out. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I want to share with you guys this video first, because this is uh, something in my context that it's not necessarily in, in, you know, everybody's context, but this is something that I've shared with uh, my, my church people. Um, oh, actually, one more thing to share is for me personally, why I got into this, this you know, direction of, of m- being missional, being a witness is, uh, you know, I, I used to be the worship pastor at RHJC. Uh, believe it or not. Um, I, I love to lead in, in musical worship. <laughs> Letty's like, what? Did that happen? That was, of course. Oh, come on, man. But it was glorious. It was, it was glorious. glorious. <laughs> um, I'm actually in a band with John. Okay. Yeah, we're just going to our stuff. But um, I, I used to be the worship pastor. And, you know, that was a time where, and some of you probably lead worship or love worship music and, and all this stuff. Sundays, it got to the point where it really grinded my gears where I don't know about you, but at my church at times, people worshiping, you get, you know, you get the Sunday stun is what it's affectionately called in, in our context. You weren't um, lagging there, yeah, by the way, for lagging. everyone who was just wondering, you weren't lagging. Yeah, it's a, it's Sunday just... stun. <laughs> a Sunday stun, people look stunned or even pissed. There's maybe some RBF going on up there. But um, what, what frustrated me was like, why, I asked the question, why is this happening? Why are people... You know, the, the, 
it's like their faith isn't a lot. And you, you hear this, especially in Chinese church, people say this too. I, that other church, that black church, they're so on fire for, for Jesus or whatnot. And then our church, like, come on. And I was always frustrated with that. But you know where that questioning, that, that line of questioning led me to? It was, it was not just, are we making better worshipers on a Sunday? But do people really have uh, a life change and a life of worship, you know, and all that language about worship is a lifestyle, you know, probably heard of that maybe, but like, is your life really following Jesus? And I would say this is like, one, how, what does that look like? That looks like being disciple, having more being, being disciple. And what did discipleship lead me to? It led me to, well, okay, it's, it's discipleship, but you know, discipleship's one thing, you help people grow, but what's one of the biggest ways we see this kind of change in people's lives? It's when someone becomes a Christian. It's when someone is like, their life is transformed by the gospel, by God's grace, and you're a part of that, and you see this, this crazy thing happen. And I would say a lot of times our, our journey kind of peters off because we don't see like this effect of this transformed life, whether it's our transformed life, whether it's seeing someone new being transformed by the gospel and you're seeing God active in the world in, you know, that's one of the ways. So I'm just sharing with you that because for me, worship led to mission, actually. Worship led for me to this life of mission. How do I not just make better worshipers on Sunday? Because how do you make people follow Jesus or help them walk along with them to follow Jesus? And then you'll see better worshipers. Then you'll see people who are more grateful and devoted and, and all this stuff. So that's just, sorry, one more thing I just wanted to share. But so in my context, um, I went from worship to young adults. I was helping young adults who are coming out of CCF, ACF, like, like probably you guys. But that, you know, and then seeing why young adults aren't getting involved in the church. Okay. And I was, I was like, oh, this is interesting. And one of the ways that we try to do at RSGC has been trying to help our small groups so fellowship, like if you guys want to say you're right, our fellowship small groups see beyond just their group. Okay. So let me show you this video. So I show you this because there, there's an evolution that's taking place. I'm sure it's like, it's almost like this is not nothing maybe new to you, but you got to understand that at one point, and this is my observation, my, my research into a lot of you know, churches is like, Fellowship groups, small groups, like as much as maybe you were missional or, or you're engaging people on mission with the God, you want to share the gospel, whatnot. What ended up happening is a lot of these groups become just inward focused, uh, focused on themselves. Uh, and then I kid you not, it gets even harder when you're in, uh, when you're young professional, when you become, uh, you know, parent, you know, God willing, you know, if that's where, you know, God's leading you, that kind of thing. It gets even harder because of all life's, life's demands. So um, kind of what I want to share about Witness is that for, for us at RH3C in particular, like I can't speak for John or Bernard, but um, what ended up happening is there, I saw this issue that people weren't uh, engaging on mission, um, a lot of it because they weren't discipled that way, or they expected the church to, you know, being part of a large church too, it's easy to just see people come in through the revolving door you, then you're also asking, are these just transferred Christians that are just coming in, you know, all this kind of thing. But then seriously, for me, it was like, if we're taking discipleship seriously, we're taking mission and being a witness seriously, like, what does that look like for our practices? What does it look like for, uh, for, for our lives to do that? 
And it required like a shift of thinking. Um, at least, you know, it started with, with me, it started with our leadership. And it was trying to push the edge of like, what would it look like to not just talk about the gospel? And like you saw that one person come out. And sometimes it is that one person has a passion. They're going to go share the gospel, they're going to engage someone. Or even like John was saying, sometimes it's a cold evangelism. Maybe that's what God wants me to do. Maybe. I'm not, there's no, nothing against that. But if that's your only method, probably, you know, hopefully there's some people that can help you discern that. But what I see in scripture, um, you go to like a passage like Luke 10. You guys have probably seen that passage a lot. Like, you know, Jesus sending out the disciples two by two. At, at least it's two. And why do you think it was two? I, I think as you look into that, that concept, what's going on there, it's not just two because Jesus thought, I need a buddy with me. <laughs> it's just like, I need someone to, to be my wingman. You know, it, it was also two so that they could embody the gospel to someone else or to a community. So a lot of times what I see is more and more people like, even like I, I, I go to work and I'm on mission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to reach out to people by myself. And I'm like, okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But what does it look like to both kind of um, have that support and a way to demonstrate what the effects of the gospel has on your life? So you're kind of putting your money where your mouth is a little bit. So I kind of want to share with you guys a little bit of uh, what I've learned uh, in, in some of my journey. I have this uh, one slide I'd, I'd love to show you. Is um, This is... So there's this aspect, there's, a, there's a, one of my professors in seminary taught this, and I thought it was very telling about mission. And uh, we're, so the way that I, one other way I would kind of express what mission could look like is we were talking about presence, faithful presence. What does that look like? And for me, a lot of times that mission looks like, if you look at these three circles, and let's call them tables, okay? Let's just call them tables. And if you see at times uh, that leftmost table, well, let's, just, let's just see that as the communion table, the Eucharist table. Um, it's the place where Jesus, it's his table, the Lord's Supper, right? Let's just call that church. Let's call that like, quote unquote church. Um, that's where people usually see what church is. Church is um, that place where, you know, I, I do my worship, I do my Christian stuff and, and I do, boom, all that stuff. Uh, so that's the Lord's table. I would say, and then the middle table, the middle table, trying to frame it this way, is seeing the Christian, the, indiv- you know, the individual or communal Christians seeing maybe their house or the space they uh, inhabit as their table. It's your table. Um, and, you know, you, you have different people at your table. You have your family at your table. You have your friends at the McDonald's or the cha time or whatever you're, you're at. And that's the table of life that you kind of occupy. And then there's one more table. It's the world's table. It's, uh, that place where, um, it's, it's not your territory. It's not the church's territory. It's, it's the person, you know, who doesn't know, doesn't know God yet. The person that's in the world, it's the world's table. It's someone in the world's, their table. And the way that I've been kind of, uh, I've learned about this kind of concept of there, you see this communion on the move. It's, do you see all of this as being the church on mission, these missional communities? Do you see all of it as church? 
because I think what ends up happening in the Christian life is we only see maybe the first one, first table as church, second table as church, but the third one is not really our responsibility or it's something that is for those really hardcore Christians. It's for those really, you know, people out there who are really passionate. So what I li- loved about the way that this was articulated to me was seeing what happens if the table was like on the move. If, if God was one, this is one of the learnings that, that I think me, John Bernard, really, really gravitate towards. Um, it's that, do you first believe God is already at work in the world? Do you already believe that? Or is it your mission? You got to make it happen. You got to make sure everything works out. That person believes in Jesus, bam, you know? Or is it God's already active? And then um, I would say from, you know, the Lord's table, he calls us to, you know, love our neighbor as ourself, you know, love God, love our neighbor as ourself. So we also engage, you know, where we host. Mission also looks like Christian hospitality. Mission, that's a huge component, inviting someone into your life, not just like, I don't know, like sometimes people see mission is just like, I'm going out with this message. Yes, but actually, if you look at Luke 10, you're going out, you're going even to other people's houses, actually, not even just your house. So one important thing is to love your neighbor is by opening up your life to someone, right? Hopefully that's part of the, the, you know, gospel message, you know, that's going to be evident in your life. And then also you go to the world's table. So you see the arrows, you know, going out into the world, going to your friend, you know, where your friend goes. Okay. It might be, yeah, it might be into sketchy places. It might be into weird spots, but hopefully you don't go alone, right? Jesus sends you out two by two because I'll be honest. Most people go, yeah, you know, like most of my friends who are like, yeah, God called me out over there by myself, whatnot. More often than not, I've seen them fall. (laughs) I've seen them more influenced by the culture than really, uh, you know, be, being engaged together. And, and you see that in the kind of video where they're like, sure, you can ask people to come to your territory, but you also need to go out. That needs to be part of your discipleship. Did anyone disciple you to that? That's, that's a question I'll throw out to you guys. Has anyone discipled you into that kind of life? Because that is following Jesus. That is a bigger expression than just inward-focused church. Someone has to walk with you to go with you and then go, hey, check this out. I'm, I'm doing this in my life. I want you to see what, you know, reaching out to someone looks like, what, what being a faithful presence and being that kind of, you know, long-term thing looks like as I walk with, you know, the people that I believe God is leading me to. So, okay, I know that's way too, way too short of a way to say this, but let me just share with you this. This is an example. I know a lot of people love, love examples. This is what, so we, our missional endeavor at RH3C in particular got me to the point where I pushed the church, instead of just bringing people into RH3C proper, what happens if it looks like if we sent people out? And we launched a site called Downtown Markham, and a, a campus site, and it was a way to try to get people who, who are living in Markham, if God placed you there, can you be on mission? and be a presence, extend God's presence, extend Christ's presence there. So this is a way, I'm not saying it's the only way, it's just a model, it's just a way to look at it. But this is some of the ways that we operate. We have our Sunday worship, you know, our, our, the Lord's table, we have our communion meal, we, we do it re- every Sunday. And we have spaces to share, share what God's doing in our life, share the gospel even in our service, you know, and yeah, all this stuff. And then 
in our connect in our middle section, it, the you know our table is we encourage our small groups, what we call them missional communities, is to live your life and live your life by you know both discipling uh, people. We call this discipleship for me, just short way to remember it: making and maturing disciples of Christ, making new, maturing current disciples of Christ. Okay, discipleship is not just helping you know current you know like the the inward people kind of go at it but yeah like kind of engaging that way like and how do you invite people into your life how do you invite people into your community one of the spaces can be at your house at your table or even at tatantang you know or like you know whatever like you're you're inviting people to to go hang out or whatever there those are the spaces that are still on your territory and that's why the dotted kind of table line is that gives people entry point into there. And then the last one is, what's our third place? What is this, our downtown Markham's third place? What's our, what's our, how do we engage the world where they're at on their territory? And how do we, you know, be part of the fabric of society? Because that's what, you know, Jesus didn't just uh, hang out with his people. He went into other places, into other parts of the world. He modeled to us, especially in that, in Jerusalem and his ministry around Jerusalem. So the third place is kind of neighborhood engagement, um, volunteering with, with the area, being involved with what's going on, not just being about your fellowship or your church only. But again, I, I caution the go with, go with. Don't just uh, think it's like me going out and, and that's how I witnessed and that's the only thing. We do have our individual witness you know, lives to show, but... I think the best way that Jesus modeled to us was sending us out two by two and that's grace to us. But yeah. Okay. So that's just some of the stuff I wanted to share. Bernard and John have definitely way more stuff to add or different things to add. Different things. I don't know if we have more, (laughs) but I think, I think like you really kind of encapsulated. So even our church, um, I'm part of a church called the living room church. I'm one of three pastors four actually, uh, depending how you classify pastors. Um, and like a big part of what we've been wrestling with is how do we engage in all of these three spaces? Cause we believe that the church is on the move and we're, we're, we're present, right? Like we, but we have the luxury in a way or curse. I don't know, depending how you call it. Um, we're right at young and Eglinton. So we're in the center of like all construction, um, and craziness and hecticness. Um, but I think the beauty is like, we've been learning a lot about like, how do you transition in between the different spaces? How do you not just create a, a gathering space and just be your own thing and just trying to draw people to experience God through, through like a Christian worship to, you know, beginning to host and invite everyone and, and actually have people come, um, not in, not, not in like, Oh, like you guys are doing these weird Christian stuff and I'm just going to. Uh, just jump along but it's actually like you guys are christian and you guys are normal people to the point where now we're learning what does it mean to be invited into the community to the birthday parties uh to 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 the struggles and the pains and the hardships in the community um and i know like for many of you guys you guys in college you guys in university like the context is a little different but the reality is we're all situated in a place and i know like for me this is a very big thing um, and that, that informs the way that I understand theology and the way that I understand a mission and practice a mission and what it means to be a faithful witness <clears throat> is this kind of theology of place. Because I think like 
one of the things that we, we look often look at Jesus and, you know, we, we love that verse, uh, John chapter one, verse 14, you know, Jesus, he dwell among us. He, you know, Eugene Peterson, he moved into the neighborhood, right? We think about that and Jesus kind of come God who is, who's almighty and he comes in as a person. But do we think about what kind of person he is? Do we think about that? He was a Jewish baby growing up in a, in a, in a Jewish home under a Jewish carpenter who then was exiled. Like they were immigrants and they had to move to Egypt to flee. Like they were refugees to start and then having to go back home and to restart life. That was his story. And he was rooted in that narrative. And I think for many of us, we, we also have our stories in our places, you know, like all three of the spaces that she was described, those are actual physical spaces that we embody. And so I think there's a sense of like this embodiment of like, where are those places to which God has invited us to experience, to enter into? Uh, and sometimes it does take a lot of exploration. You know, I have a friend, um, Preston Puto in, in, in Calgary. Well, I'll call it Calgary because nobody knows his town. And he would often do this exercise with people. It's like, if you do, if you draw a map, like with your visual mind, just draw a map of one area, one neighborhood, uh, and, and you draw like maybe a hundred steps in every direction. How detailed can you draw that map? And I think like for him, it's like if you're able to detailly draw that map, you, like you understand kind of the dynamics, you know what's going on. There's a vibrancy that's happening. You're like, oh, that corner store, like that's the one that you don't go to because they jip you. You know, that one you go to, you know, like for those who are at like U of T downtown, you know, which hot dog stand you go to, you know, which, uh, um, you know, those Chinese uh, uh, takeout buses that you should go to and which one you, you shouldn't. Right. I've been there. Yeah. Somebody give me a thumbs up. I know. Uh, and but those are also the dwelling places that maybe God is inviting us to embody, you know, this 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 uh, this this mission that he's called us to. And I think like uh, with this idea of embodiment in a place, like it's not always easy. Um, I, I, I really appreciate this um, theologian. His name is John Swinton. He was actually my mom's uh, dissertation professor. Uh, and he wrote this uh, article um, called From Inclusion to Belonging. And he said, to be present to others is not simply to be alongside them. It is to recognize them for who they are and to learn what it means to love them. And so I take us from a location specific theology to deeply like this, this kind of idea of like truly loving people, not with an agenda to try to save someone, but to enter into this story. Um, some of you who, uh, if you get to know me more, like I'm a big fan of stories, like narratives is very important to me because I think a narrative frames the way that we understand things narratives unearth the people that we engage with it kind of opens us up into their lives as our lives are being opened up to theirs and i think like this idea of loving uh, as, as as we've been living in this community and loving that community loving that space um i think it's it's so huge to what witnesses you know share a quick story about our neighborhood right now so I'm at Young and Eglinton, um, which is actually really cool. A quick, quick side story. Um, so when we moved down here, <clears throat> we know that it's very expensive and nobody can afford it. Um, and, but then as we continue to share the vision of what God's doing here, more and more people from our church began to move into the community. So we kind of became moving. 
without being moved in. Um, but over, over, I see what you did there. I what? see what you did there. Yes. <laughs> if I did it, I don't know what I did. So, uh, <laughs> still worked, I guess. Um, so in the last little while, like our neighborhood has become a place where, um, like, uh, a lot of the homeless and marginalized individual has been brought into our community. In fact, there was two buildings that has been transformed into a temporary housing. And in the last couple of weeks, there was just this quick turnaround and another hotel in our neighborhood became a shelter, an emergency shelter. And there's been this huge kind of like uproar in our community, kind of wrestling with what to do. And I think for us as a church, like it was kind of cool to see um, both ourselves as a church, but also other churches that we've gone to know to wrestle with this together. Because we're not just like physically located in this community, but we love this community. And we don't want to just be like, oh, no, let's just get them off our backyard. But no, no, no. Like, what is what is our response and how do we embody that? And a good friend of mine, Lorraine, who works at Sanctuary, we've talked a lot about this. And I, I often ask her, like, is there anything that we can do, like as churches and community? Uh, and one of the things that she encourages us is be an advocate. So we've been present, you know, online, just being an advocate for these communities to help people understand like this group of people, they've been displaced from their own home and it's rough. It's hard for sure. Totally. But like, there's so much more to the story. And so what does it mean to love people that we don't know? Right. And that's, I think part of learning to love and embrace our community. It's, it's, it's not easy. Um, if it's easy, then, you know, like, yeah, mission is not what mission is. So um, like, learn to love our community, love the people. Um, yeah, that's, that's something that like, I think we've been wrestling with as a church in our community. I guess I think about Luke 14, when you talk about that, when, when Jesus, um, you know, talks about, about his kingdom, essentially being this place where it's not just where your buddy, buddy comes, but he invites all of the, the people on the streets, the people to, to come where these other, other people's like, I'm too busy. I got my life to live. But instead, it's like Jesus, like, well, then, then we're going to get all these other people in, you know? And for me, that, that's the part of, the, of missional living that I think, and I think all of you guys are in uh, this ALT for a reason, this leadership training, because yeah, you, you're, okay, I don't want to say you're the cream of the crop, you're your top gun. No, but like, um, you know, what about, what is about mission that Jesus, his, his radar was always directly, you know, kind of this. What about that, that least of these people? And that's part of, I would say, our witness, very, very importantly part. You know, Jesus saying, not just blessed are the poor in spirit, but in Luke, blessed are the poor. You know, like, go, go after them as well. But then it's just kind of that discernment where just like, are we inviting even the least of these into our lives as well? Like, is there space for that? And, and just to borrow from, like, you know, one of the theologians that she had quoted earlier, Scott McKnight, like who wrote a book called a fellowship of difference. Like, I feel like that's the church. The church is meant to be a fellowship of difference. You know, when Jesus brought in the 12, like they couldn't be more weirder 12 than you can imagine, you know, like you have a couple of fishermen, you have a tax collector and then you, the tax collector is sitting beside a zealot, the zealot who is actually someone who hates the tax collector and they're sharing a meal together. And yet like, Jesus brought all these people to show us that, yeah, we're different and weird, and but there's space at the table um, 
you know, for people who are different. And I think like, no matter if you're on campus or if you're in different places and neighborhoods and our homes, uh, even now, right? Like we're stuck COVID-19, we're all stuck at home pretty much, um, unless you're at stage three, which I am not. Um, Ottawa! <laughs> Ottawa people. But um, there are places where I think God invites us to, to to explore and then to model what this kind of community looks like. Um, one of the one of my favorite church names um, is by this author who I who has really challenged me about um, my understanding of mission is Hugh Halter and his friend Matt Smay. So they wrote a book called The Tangible Kingdom, and it's about like unearthing what does it mean to live out the mission of God in community. And so they started a church in Denver called um, Agilum. And at first I'm like, that's weird. Like I know it's biblical, but I never thought about what it was um, until I kind of looked it up and studied it. And it was actually, Adullam was the cave where David um, fled from Saul and he gathered the riffraffs, like the robbers, the least of these, the most hated. And they all kind of gathered together in this cave and they banded together and became David's mighty men. A lot of people, a lot of uh, commentaries and, and, and theologians have said like, yeah, you know, like these these riffraffs, these bandits, like un- unloved people gathered around David and they eventually became David's mighty men, the greatest warriors um, that have gone alongside David. And I think like when we when we look at, you know, like as we are being with the least of these, we don't continue looking at people as these are the least of these. But we see it with fresh lenses and kind of going back to what I was talking about before. You know, God is doing this reconciliation and restorative plan. He's doing something new. Mm-hmm. Right. And and we need to be kind of be able to, to see that, to, to, to reorient ourselves. Right. Even on your campus, right. On our campus, sometimes we feel like these are the most spiritually stifling places. But we believe that God's at work. Right. We believe that God is moving. So what what, what can it look like? And how can he kind of bring this restorative story? Um, and maybe it just takes a, a, you know, a little spark. So just, you know, something to, to consider. Yeah, and I think I'll just kind of jump on top of that. Uh, I know that uh, Tim has turned off his video, but I could see him sweating because we are totally talking too long. But you know what? Josh is smiling, so that's why we, we just keep on going. It's Oh, there's Tim. I see that sweat. It's true. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to just share just a, a just jump off, you know, Shu and Bernard, because I think they explained it so, so well and so like, you know, uh, insightfully. Um, and then we're going to jump into just sharing briefly, maybe as 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 we're kind of thinking about it now, uh, about what does it mean in our Canadian Asian context and especially what does it mean to be in our COVID context um, and what does that look like? So for Shu and Bernard, like, you know, they'll share a little bit right after I share uh, about that. And, you know, hopefully we're going to wrap this up in not too long because I we, we, we love conversation, too. So we hopefully will have conversation for that. Um, so. You know, just kind of briefly on top of what Shu and Bernard had already shared, because I thought that was, you know, I, you know, wrestle with what does it mean to be, um, you know, a, a theology of present, that, that, that God is with us, that he is already at work in the places that we are in. And if you think about it, you know, it's not just isolated to any of the circles that or the tables that, that she was talking about. Uh, but God is already there. You know, like I think one of the greatest parts about the great, great commandment um, that often is not really talked about, you know, it says, yeah, you know, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go and make disciples. Like everyone talks about these parts, you know, baptizing them in the name of the father, son, and Holy spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded. 
And then it talks, says, and surely I am with you. I am with you until the very end of the age. And this whole idea that God is with us is like such a big part of what the gospel is, right? Like God is with us. And that when we rebelled, he pursued us and he reconciled and he brought us back to be with him. And so this whole idea that God is with us is, is, is a major component of the gospel message. And so what does it mean to continue to think through that? You know, God is with us. God is here. God is already here. He's drawing people to himself. Uh, he's renewing and restoring all things. Bernard just, you know, was just talking about that, that reconciling work. Um, and if we consider what does it mean to be, our, to be witnesses and to be disciples in this world, are we watching and listening first to God's presence? Like when you go back to your schools or you go back to your cities or churches, do you think that like, you know, I am here to, to bring God's mission or is God already at work and I get to participate in what he's already doing? You know, do we, instead of trying to convince someone, do we just help people see him already at work in people's lives? And then, you know, you, we talked a little bit about earlier about how, you know, the, that Preston, uh, you know, in Calgary, he's, he's great at just pointing to the beauty of things. When he sees that, like, like, yes, you know, when people come together, when this neighborhood comes together for the greater common good of the city, that's beautiful. That is part of what God is doing. And he's, He's so good. His, you, should, you should go check out some of his stuff. He's so good at just pointing to be like, that's what God is doing. God is here and, 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 and he's already doing all these things. And so when we go back to our campuses, do we start to have this posture of our heart just to be like, God is already here. God is drawing people back to you know, himself. How can I just be a highlight for that? And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just listening to people. Sometimes it's just like, when we are inviting them into our lives, we're able to say, yeah, I think that's, you know, what God might be, you know, revealing about himself. To you. And so, you know, just kind of following along, it's just that, you know, uh, you know, how, how can we highlight, how can we be first attuned to be like, this is what God is doing here and now. And how can I kind of point people to that and to highlight what God is already doing in that place? And then our presence in that space, you know, are we also embodying withness? Are we with others in the way that we are with others? Do people see Jesus in the way we are, you know, inviting people in our lives? See what he did there? Witness and withness. Witness, witness. I think Bernard Bernard did that. Yes, we're all dads. We can pull dad jokes all day long. It's all good. Shoe doesn't do that. No, no, Shoe does that. Uh, He he uh, gets us to edit all that stuff out. Anyways, the witness. Yeah, see, Letty is typing it in. Witness and witness. Um, you know, do we embody that witness? And whether we are in that third circle, the third table, where when we are a guest at someone else's, in guest in someone else's life and space, do we get a sense that, like, yeah, God is here? You know, that that author, pastor David Fitch, that kind of coined those kind of three tables, three circles. Um, he talks about uh, about whenever he goes into kind of a space where he's a guest, just to be praying what is called the epiclesis prayer, um, and it's just about you know, praying that the Holy Spirit would be present and the Holy Spirit would just open up a space so that people wouldn't encounter him. And, and one of the things that I think is also like that is really cool about those three circles is it actually kind of maps out how people kind of actually get connected. Um, because it's hard to jump from like being a guest at someone else's table and inviting them to church because it's, it's kind of jarring. <laughs> it's kind 
kind of just being like, oh, let's let's just jump into this thing. And then people are like, I don't get this at all. But it's a lot less of a step to be inviting someone into your life and inviting them into uh, inviting them into your own home uh, and just to be experiencing, be like, you know, this is what God is doing in our life. And just um, and just to be sharing that same love and same withness with with other people. And so, uh, you know, when we engage the world, are we doing it with compassion, hospitality, engagement? Are we for other people? I think this is a whole other discussion, but like, you know, you know, in a world that's kind of rant, run off of power and run of, off of antagonism and such like that, you know, can our witness just be for people? Uh, sometimes I think that's, that requires much more time and effort to discern and wrestle through. But, you know, you know Jesus was for people. You know, he desired to see people, you know, return to him. Um, and, you know, as we engage with others, you know, as the way we show that, you know, people will know that we are disciples. That's John 13, 35, you know, by other, by this, others will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, and the whole idea of just kind of like that God has placed us somewhere, like God has placed each one of you to be at your schools or to be at your churches so what is God doing there? And are you involved with what God is doing there? And are you involved with the people that are there and working toward uh, kingdom difference? Um, you know, I know you guys have been studying through Acts. And, you know, part of the early church, the reason why so many people came to, to you know, come to faith in Jesus is that, like, people just encountered Christ through these dedicated, intentional communities that devoted themselves to the word, the sacraments, to prayer, to witness for caring and loving each other, including their enemies. Uh, they were involved in social concern, you know, caring for the widows and orphans. And people were astounded by that. It was so countercultural. It wasn't just like the miracles and, and the great, uh, you know, preaching, you know, that but people encountered people living and embodying the gospel in that way. The whole idea of witness, um, you know, for us, as, uh, like I'm a pastor at SCBC uh, and, you know, for us, we kind of, wanted to listen to what was happening in our neighborhood uh, and get to know the people there. And we noticed that it was a very low income place and that there were people that were wrestling with food insecurity. And so we we're like, you know what? We want to be that kind of presence as a church. We don't want to be just known as that building that's like aluminum and looks like a random spaceship in the, on Kennedy, right? Like we want to actually be known as a presence in our neighborhood. And so we wrestled with it and we, we said, like, how can we partner with others? We started partnering with uh, one church, which used to be called Agent Court Pentecostal Church and Agent Court Community Services and said, you know, how can we be part of, of the restorative work of, of God in this, in this area? And food insecurity was one of those big areas. And so we built a, a community garden and we invite people to be part of that team to, to you know, uh, like water the, the garden and plant seeds and, you know, doing um, uh, various uh, ways of connecting with families in our neighborhood. Um, and so that's kind of what, how we wrestle through. Like, we are part of that place. What is our presence in that place? You know, how, why has God placed us there? And so this whole idea that, you know, uh, of how, you know, we take first how God is with us, and then we embody that as we are living that out as churches, as fellowships, as, as, as Christians, and as witnesses, of course. Um, and so let's, we're going to just kind of, you know, end off uh, with just sharing a little bit about, you know, what can this look like as, a, you know, a Chinese Canadian, especially in a time like this, you know, uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll just share briefly just from the, how, 
God has continued to kind of reveal that to, you know, to me in, in terms of like my context. Um, and then Shu and Bernard will have a chance to just kind of jump in and, and share a little bit with them uh, as well. Um, and so the whole idea of place and presence, you know, what does that mean that we first are focused on God being there? What is he doing? How can we be part of it? Uh, but also, you know, as we are inhabiting the different spaces, how can we be God's presence and extending God's presence in, in those different places? And one thing that is great for, I think, Asian Canadians, Chinese Canadians, is that we, and the, I, I got this from Reverend Lim, who's, you know, Bernard talked to him about uh, him earlier. He was the pastor that was in North Korea that was detained. But he, when, when we had a chance to interview him, he was like, he's like, the second generation is primed and privileged to connect with immigrants, with second and gen, third generation, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, people and, you know, they're primed to connect with fellow students. Um, and there is a specific place and value for the immigrant church still at this time. I know some people kind of still bash like, oh, why do we have monocultural churches? It should be multicultural churches. Uh, but you know what? God is doing something with monocultural churches. And are we, are we attentive to that? And so how can we kind of ask our squas- ourselves the question, who are we primed and privileged already to reach and to come alongside with, to be, you know, to be with. Um, as China, as Asian Canadians too, are we also able to, uh, you know, to be able to recognize and and to accept the truth that we might not be able to reach all people groups? And I think that's hard for us to hear sometimes. Uh, but you know, I take this right out of Acts, as you guys are studying through Acts. You know, Acts sixteen six, uh, when Paul is trying to enter into Asia, and it says that he is stopped. But it's not just that anyone stopped him, but the Holy Spirit stopped him from entering into Asia. And then he tries another way, and then he's stopped again. And then he has this vision about the man from Macedonia, and then he's like, oh, that's where the Holy Spirit is leading into. And this is not as a cop-out for us to be like, oh, yeah, there's certain people that we, uh, you know, aren't able to reach, and therefore, you know, and therefore, like, you know, we should stop trying. No, not at all. We should continually to be that witness. But it's more about the impetus of being led by the spirit as, as a witness. And, you know, as we do that, who are we primarily called to and already uh, perhaps gifted or placed in situations that we can be part of specific communities and invite people into that community and go to, and go to people uh, who invite us into their lives. Uh, how can we be bridge builders? Um, and, you know, for Shu, Bernard and I, we always consider ourselves, um, as kind of part of this bridge building in the Chinese Canadian churches, because, you know, it's moving between generations. It's tougher and tougher as different perspectives, you know, come along and how can we be part of building that bridge? And we're totally okay to be like, like to be Moses and never see the promised land, but, you know, we get a glimpse of it and we're hoping that, you know, that we can have this be part of what God is doing in our churches. Um, I think part of understanding uh, the narrative that we uh, have have told have been uh, enculturated in or we've adopted or been raised in helps us know how we can connect with people if we've you know if we're second generation or third generation or maybe we are like first generation um you know do we understand the specific challenges the specific issues that we face that helps us kind of connect with people um you know one thing that we're facing right now is is racism right how do we respond to persecution in our life and so you know Yes, how can we be praying for those who persecute us, loving them, loving our enemies, seeing them as God sees them, uh, help them to kind of experience the kingdom. Um, and in a way that is like, 
you know, as we engage with them, how can we be, uh, in, a, in a sense, disrupting the, the narrative that they tell about us? So, of course, there's a narrative that we find ourselves in, that we've told, we tell about ourselves or that we've been enculturated in. But there's also this story that culture has told about us as Asians, right? And so, you know, the, that TNT video is a prime example, right? Like, you know, someone comes from this narrative of saying like, okay, you are the problem. You know, you are my enemy. You are the other, right? Uh, you are oppressing me. I hope you get sick and die. Go to jail. Uh, and what does the TNT man says? He raises his hands. And this is kind of like, non like non-violent you know uh, uh, like uh response he raises his hand and says i am canadian he keeps on repeating that right i'm canadian i am canadian and that's so profound because it's like he's kind of saying i am one of you i follow the same rules i share the same values and the desire for this country for this place i love this country you know and how that has had such a big impact in terms of what people watching the video and that's kind of a, like this alternative way where it's not like antagonistic uh trying to like you know you we are like like butting heads with one another but it's it's engaging in a way that's like oh man like his that that was like like i don't even know if that guy realizes how profound he was but saying like i'm canadian right um and so thinking about like you know who we prime to connect with uh and especially you know in a day of like of racism you know we have this ability to connect with those who because now that's part of our story to, that are marginalized and are oppressed and we can grieve and lament with others. Uh, we just don't have to adopt other perspectives of allyship. We can experience our own way of having racism or persecution in our life and come alongside others and share and grieve together and to be pointing back to Christ and the hope that we have in him. You know, Bernard talked earlier about like, yeah, you know, there was a specific context in when Jesus entered the world. He became a Jew, a Jewish baby in a Jewish household, but he, he could also relate to the poor because he was poor, right? He was homeless. And so like, how does he connect, you know, others um, with others? Uh, and because that is part of our story now, and perhaps that's been part of our story for many, many generations. How can we best connect with others and point back to Chris and say like, you know what, this is, this is how God is redeeming and restoring this and how we can uh, also have this, you know, this, this foundation in him. Um, and lastly, you know, in a time of COVID, what are the specific challenges that we are facing as well? And as Asian Canadians, how can we be God's present in those needs and to be meeting those even when we are distance? Uh, and I've been so encouraged by how many people are reaching out by Zoom or online to connect with others. It takes more effort to, uh, and that, that has been happening. And so that's, you know, that's how I will kind of frame it a little bit. I'm going to pass things over to Shu and Bernard quickly to talk a little bit about uh you know about oh letty said something about check out that interview on their podcast thank you so much that was a nice great shout out uh but check out letty's episodes haha we'll, <laughs> there we'll you go to, check out we'll, letty's episodes <laughs> we'll try to honor time because i know yes. that like there's still breakout and response um but if i can just kind of share two two short things the first one kind of alludes to what john was saying like in this time of COVID time and the racism that we experience like one of the, the most powerful things that we can learn um, is to learn from others. Uh, recently, we just lost a giant in the civil rights. His name is John Lewis. And on his TED Talk, there's, an, there's a very powerful lesson in what it means to actually embody the nonviolence faithfulness that is in Jesus. And I think there's so much about learning that we need to continue to aspire to. Uh, and the second thing that I want to just kind of close off, um, at least for me, uh, I don't know if she has more to say, 
I just want to speak to you guys because I think I want to I want to encourage you guys because for many of you you are living this kind of bicultural life that you're living you can see it as I'm not living either or or you can see it as I'm living both and you have an ability to move between cultures and I think it's a very beautiful thing yes and amen and I, and I think like you have an attuned ability to kind of adapt right you you may speak you know cantonese or chinese with your parents and then out there you live fluent english and there's adaptability in who you are and so i just want to like leave, i'll leave you with you uh, psalm 139 um that david calls out to god and says i praise you because i'm fearfully and wonderfully made your works are wonderful i know that full well you are fearfully and wonderfully made uniquely gifted and formed by god mm. you know we have our flaws but there's beauty in it too mm. so be encouraged just throw back to what letty was saying last time with identity and looking at the ephesians passage too right ephesians 2 yes shoo uh, that was great guys that we said a lot we say too much. It's kind of like a fire hose. <laughs> yes. our, our podcast episodes are shorter. Yes. Oh, man. Very so much shorter. Way shorter. Thank you guys so much for joining us today and for listening to our talk that we gave to Ambassadors for Christ. We would love to hear what you guys think about it and how you are continuing to wrestle with what does witness look like from a Canadian-Asian perspective. You can reach out to us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear what you resonate with and what your reflections are. Please also remember to rate and review and subscribe to our podcast. That helps us to get this conversation continually out there and reach more people. And lastly, as we had this conversation with campus leaders and those working with schools around our country, would you be remembering them in prayer? Would you be remembering them as they consider what does it mean to be a presence and to be a witness on their campuses to their fellow students and teachers and as they grow together in Christ. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.